Father, we come into your presence. Father, we love your leadership. We love what's in your heart and the way that you plan so many good things for us forever. We ask you, by the Holy Spirit, you would inspire our understanding. You would energize our hearts tonight. Lord, we ask you for impartation. That you would move even like the wind, like light, like fire in this room tonight. You touch hearts, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're on session two of our second series. This is the Intimacy with the Trinity in John chapter 14. Tonight we're going to zero in on the Father's house. But I don't want you to miss the underlying point that Jesus is making when he zeroes in on the Father's house, the fact that he wants his people to cultivate, to have an eternal mindset. This is very unnatural to human beings to develop a, a, an eternal mindset, perspective. But it can be done, and the Spirit wants to guide us into this truth. The Spirit will help us if we want to go there He'll help us on the journey. He'll escort us into all truth. Well, I'm going to begin by a review of last week. Tonight, the handout's a little bit longer than typically. It typically is, and we're not going to cover it all. A bunch of it I'm just going to leave you to study on your own if you want to, related to the New Jerusalem. Just a real, a real quick review for those that are with us for the first time tonight. Last week, Jesus gave a command that we would not allow trouble to dominate our heart, our emotions, and our thinking. That we actually have a responsibility in this. He says in verse 1, don't let your heart, in essence, be dominated by trouble. Don't let it dominate your thinking. Then he gives the statement, you believe in God, and then here's the primary exhortation of John chapter 14, believe also in me. Then in verse 27, he repeats it. Do not let your heart be troubled, but he adds the divine intervention to the people who obey this command. If they will resist the issue of letting trouble dominate their mind, Jesus said, I promise you, I will give you supernatural peace. I will intervene and meet you if you will take a stand and cooperate with me in this. So the peace is a supernatural answer and intervention from heaven. And the peace doesn't come once and then it's there forever. It comes and goes. We wish it didn't. The trouble ebbs and flows in our mind and our emotions. And the Lord says, keep resisting the trouble by standing on my word. And my peace will be supernaturally imparted to you if you'll go on the journey with me. But it's a lifelong journey. It's not a one-time deal. There's a human dynamic involved. That's why he says, don't let it happen. Don't let trouble dominate. Paragraph B. The five chapters of John 13 to 17, this is all from last week, tell us how to engage our troubled hearts so we're not overcome by these four negative emotions and mindsets that we looked at last week. Anxiety, fear, shame, and betrayal. In these five chapters, John 13 to 17, Jesus gives us a line-upon-line teaching insight into the Father's heart. 
He wants to anchor our heart in these promises so it gives us, it equips us to resist allowing trouble to dominate our heart. But the thing I pointed out last week, which I, I want to emphasize again, the truths in these five chapters equip us to respond to the end time troubles. Because remember, Jesus taught on the end times on Tuesday, and now the Last Supper's Thursday, and he's still in the same conversation. Paragraph C. Last week we looked at, I highlighted seven reasons why the apostles were troubled, and it's the same seven reasons. They have a particular application in this generation as well. Right before Jesus exhorted them, don't let your heart be troubled, in John 13, he laid out three reasons they would be troubled. And I'm not going to develop it, but I just wanted to say it rapid fire. The fact that Jesus would leave them suddenly by death. And of course, he's not, that's not going to happen to us, but we do have loved ones that are suddenly taken by death. It troubles our heart. There's betrayal in the team. The leader of the team stumbles and denies the Lord. Those are three major pressures that troubled the team. And then two days earlier, that was on Thursday night on John 13 and 14. Two days earlier, he used this same exhortation, do not be troubled. In Matthew 24, when he was talking about the intense pressures that would come on them, but they would come to fullness in the generation the Lord returns. But he uses the same language in verse 6. Do not be troubled. He's on the same conversation. These end time pressures, well, they experienced them as well, in part in their generation. They would be crisis in the culture, persecution, a national crisis. I mean, their, their capital city was destroyed and their nation was invaded and really uh, uh, brought under the oppression of foreign armies and a uh, very painful, confusing pressure is the delay of God's promises. When we're imagining the fullness of what he told us would look this way and decades unfold before we see it. Well, those were seven pressures I looked at last week in how Jesus said, believe in me. Roman number two. Last week in session one, we highlighted eight truths that he wanted us to believe in. Tonight, I'm going to zero in on one of those eight truths. I'm going to give some detail and focus on the first one that he highlighted. Let's read the passage again. Verse one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And I want you, I'm going to really focus this in a few minutes, but I want you to notice the very first area of truth that Jesus wants them established in when he says, believe me, is the fact that we live forever in God's house. That is not a small thing. It's commonly kind of minimize this truth as, well, that's pie in the sky. I mean, let's be practical. Let's live with something in reality. The very first thing that Pastor Jesus anchored their heart in when he said, overcome a troubled heart, anchor yourself in eternal perspective. I've never heard a counselor or a pastor 
talked to somebody whose heart is hurting and anchored them in that. Well, maybe I have a little bit, but not much. Jesus was very rare, but it's very informative to us that want to see what he would say to somebody with troubled hearts. That's kind of minimized as not very practical. Well, that's the first thing that Jesus emphasized. But here I want to point out something that I didn't spend time on last week. He says, let not your heart be troubled, verse 1. Now he makes a statement of fact, and I want you to catch this. He goes, you, you do believe in God, the God of Israel. You do believe him. The Old Testament saints believed in the God of Israel, Jehovah, Yahweh. He says, that's a fact. I don't mean the whole nation did, but it was common. They believed in his promises. The Pharisees believed in the invisible God of the Old Testament. That's why they were so energetic, even angry about everybody keeping the rules because they believed in those rules, the God of Moses. But the exhortation is, he goes, you believe in the invisible God of Moses, there's something new. I want you now to believe in me like you believe in him. Because in a minute, I'm gonna be invisible to you. And this is a new reality to you. You're used to believing me because you see me and you see the miracles, but I'm gonna be gone and I'm gonna be invisible. So the way you believe in God in the Old Testament, a devout saint, I want you to believe in me when you can't see me after tomorrow. And they're looking at him going, what do you mean? That's the core command here. He says, I'm gonna be dead and I'm not gonna be visible to you anymore. And I am as much God as the Father is. This is new to you. You know I'm the Messiah, and you know I'm one with the Father, sort of, but you don't really get it. I am literally as much God as the Father, and I want you to believe in me when you can't see me like you believe in him when you don't see him, and believe in what I tell you. That's how he starts this. Paragraph C. This is an essential command to obey in a consistent way. This is not pie in the sky. This is foundational Christianity 101, but mostly it's dismissed or neglected to believe in these eight things that I mentioned last week that we're gonna look at one of them here tonight, the Father's house. When our hearts are weighed down with anxiety, fear, shame, betrayal, we become very vulnerable to dark emotions and dark thinking, much more vulnerable. Now all of us know what it means to be weighed down with those one or more of those four dark emotions and mindsets. They are emotions, but they're more than that. They're mindsets as well. We're far more vulnerable for dark emotions to increase when we get weighed down. That's why Jesus is saying something really critical. He goes, you really need to lean, lean into this. Well, how do we do it? Really simple. It's not confusing. It takes it's rigorous in some ways because we have to exert ourselves. We have to engage ourselves emotionally instead of just drifting with dark feelings and emotions. We have to stop, take a stand, line up with truth, and say what God says in our own heart and line our hearts up. And then he says, if you will do that, if you will resist trouble dominating you by doing this, I'll give you supernatural peace. I mean, in measure... And I'll give it to you over and over if you will line up with my word over and over. He says it, in, uh, Paul says it in Philippians 4 so well. He goes, don't be anxious or don't be fearful. For, don't have these negative emotions. But in everything, 
by interacting with God. That's the point. He says prayer with thanksgiving. By everything, by saying what God says, talk to God with a spirit of thankfulness. Lord, it's true what you said. I really do have, will live in the Father's house. You really are coming for me. You really do want to be with me. These are real things by prayer. Talk to God with a spirit of thanksgiving for these truths. And the Lord says, Paul is saying, if you'll do that, peace will guard dark emotions and dark thinking. Can you imagine the power of peace guarding our hearts? Most believers don't know so much about that. Because when they get anxious, they don't interact with God with a spirit of thanksgiving about the truth. They go, well, the truth, I mean, I believe them, but the Lord says, no, engage with me, thank me for them. Ask me to reveal them more to you. Say them before me. Talk to me, engage with me. And if you do that, if you do that, I'll guard your heart from the, this current of dark emotions and dark thinking. I'll stop the current if you will do that. Paul said it another way, that we're transformed, and he talked, he's talking about most emotionally. Our character is transformed when our emotions are transformed. We're transformed by changing the way we think, lining up with what God says. Top of page two. Well, he starts off, I mentioned eight truths last week in our first session. We're in session two now. The first one, and I don't want you to miss the significance of it, he talks about the Father's house, in other words, living forever in the age to come, in the Father's house, is the core reality to get their hearts liberated from being overcome with darkness. Again, this is just so foreign to the church in the 21st century church. I was gonna say the church in the West, and really it's the church in the earth. It's a very, very foreign idea. I mean, we all know it conceptually, but almost... But very few people engage in this in a real practical way. I mean in a daily way in their interaction with the Lord. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. And there I am with you. Now, we're, gonna, we're, we're to pray, we're to talk to God with thanksgiving, with these truths. I mean, all through John 13 to 17, we're going to talk to God. We're, Paul said, pray with thanksgiving. We're going to talk to God with thanksgiving. I want to urge you. I, I'm, I don't mean all day, every day, but more than once every now and then. When you're reading this, stop and say, thank Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that you and the Father planned a house for us to be in with you. Thank you. When's the last time you... You paused and with thanksgiving said, thank you for the Father's house. I tell you, you say that, thank you for the Father's house, show me more. Thank you that you prepared a way, Jesus, for me to live there, show me more. Thank you, you're coming again so I can be with you. Thank you that you want me to, do you want to be with me? Show me more. It's that simple little thing that I've talked about in, in our first uh, uh, course, is that thank you, show me more. John 14, well, all the way through, is loaded with phrases. There's so many phrases to bring into the conversation, to have prayer with thanksgiving. In other words, talk to God by saying, thank you, show me more. I tell you, you do that tonight, just for a few minutes, you'll feel it. I mean, maybe not, you won't feel it tonight if you're brand new at it. It might kind of like, this is kind of weird. But you stay with this 
you will feel the power of that conversation. Even a little bit. Your heart will go like, wow, I like the feeling of this. The Lord says, I'm just waiting for you to talk to me about it. These are glorious truths that we don't want just staying on the page. We want to say, thank you, show me more. Paragraph B, I've already said this, but Jesus began elaborating on what it means to overcome a troubled heart by emphasizing he's coming back so that he can bring us to the Father's house. Again, what, what counselor approaches a broken heart with that message? That's kind of seen as not realistic. And Jesus would have said right before he died, it's profoundly realistic because that's what got my heart encouraged. And I'm dying in a few hours. This is a foundational truth to build our life on. Not just to make a poster about, sing a song about, but to actually have in our conversation with the Lord on a regular basis. This promise of preparing a place to live with the Father forever and to live with him forever gave them an entirely new perspective of their life. Especially in their battle to overcome despair. This was reality. Pastor Jesus, 101, how to overcome a broken heart. It's like, wow, really? Huh. Paragraph C, Jesus understood the Father's house was the New Jerusalem. He understood that. He knew so much more about the New Jerusalem than John the Apostle saw in Revelation 21 and 22, the famous two chapters on the New Jerusalem. There's more in those two chapters on the New Jerusalem, the Father's home, than any place in the Bible. And you know, we read Revelation 21 and 22, the Father's house, the New Jerusalem. Wow, Jesus could say, I didn't even give you the table of contents hardly. There is so much I have planned for you. It is yours forever. And it's your, de it's your destiny now. It's your home now. And you don't have to wait till then to feel the strength of encouragement, the fact that this is reality. Well, the new Jerusalem is going to descend. It's up in heaven. In the third heavens, it's gonna come down to the earth. Matter of fact, I don't want to go into detail on this right now. It's going to come down twice. It's going to come down to the earth. It's going to be in proximity to the earthly Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' second coming. That's where saints, when we're raptured, we'll have a resurrected body, we'll live in the new Jerusalem, but it will be in close proximity to the millennial Jerusalem on the earth. It won't be on the earth, but it'll be connected in a dynamic way to the earthly Jerusalem. And then after the thousand-year reign, it's going to come on the earth permanently and settle on the earth. Now, when the new Jerusalem comes down, heaven is on the earth. It's going to happen in the second coming in a dynamic way, but even more after the thousand-year millennial kingdom. Then heaven is on earth. Then the Father's home, his house, is on the earth. That's where resurrected believers will live. That's the Lord returns, we meet him in the, in the air. If you've gone to be the Lord before that, your body's resurrected. He brings us all together to the new Jerusalem, but he brings the new Jerusalem down to the earth. Paragraph D. Now those for this, I want to be very brief on this. Some of you are really established in your understanding on this, these basic simple points, but some it's brand new. So I want to be very brief. When Jesus returns... The second coming, he catches us up to meeting him in the air. 
He brings us, we're in the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem comes down to the earth at the second coming. It begins a thousand-year period called the Millennial Kingdom. And when the thousand-year period, Jesus is ruling in Jerusalem. He's connected to the New Jerusalem and the Millennial Jerusalem. It's dynamically connected. I don't want to go into much detail right now. Every sphere of life on planet Earth will come under the leadership of Jesus. The Garden of Eden conditions will fill the earth over that thousand-year period. It's the most glorious thing. And you, though, you will live in the New Jerusalem. You'll have a resurrected physical body, and you will serve on the millennial earth. That will be your place of assignment. And you'll go back and forth between your place in the New Jerusalem and your assignment on the earth at the speed that angels move now from heaven to earth. That's pretty fast. I don't know how fast, but I know it's really fast. You'll get to your work assignment a lot quicker than you can get to IHOP from your house, even if you learn to turn hut. <laughs> You'll get to your work assignment faster, I assure you that. Paragraph E, understanding the biblical pers perspective of heaven is really important because it affects the way we see the future and that affects the way we live our life today. One preacher said this. I've quoted this many times. I don't know who said it. I just got it. I've heard it over the years. If you don't think rightly of heaven, you won't end up thinking of heaven at all. If you think of heaven as floating on a cloud, playing a harp, you know, just kind of drifting through eternity, kind of waving at your friend, hey, and billions of years, if that's your version of heaven, that's your, your view of it, you won't think of heaven. If you don't think of it rightly, you won't think of it. If you don't think of heaven, which is the Father's house, which is the new Jerusalem, coming down in dynamic proximity and, and connection to the millennial earth, that we're involved in seeing the glory of God on the millennial earth, even with resurrected bodies in the new Jerusalem, in the Father's house. And our life will be very opposite of humdrum and boring, and all we do is play a harp. We'll be dynamically involved in enriching and enhancing blessing and life for other people forever. You won't be bored. You'll be deeply involved in things that are enriching God's blessing and life in the lives of other people. Again, I don't want to stop and do an end times teaching on the millennial kingdom. I have a 12-part series on it from a few years ago if you want to check it out on, on the website. Paragraph F. Jesus is going to join, when he comes back at the second coming, the heavenly supernatural realm and the earthly natural realm, he's going to join them together. Now, this is a common idea to a number of you here, but it's new to some people, but it's a new idea. But I want you to see that this is central to God's eternal purposes, to join heaven and earth together, the supernatural realm of heaven with the natural realm of earth, where we have real bodies and real bones and we eat real food and we teach people and we, you hug somebody and you actually hug them. You don't like a spirit like past them. Whoa, let's go try that again. Whoa, it's real. And you're involved on the earth and gardens are growing and life is being enhanced and you're dynamically involved. When I think of that, I think this is, you know, the, the tribulation lasts three and a half years, 42 months. We can endure things for 42 months for billions and billions of years of walking in the glory of God. 
But if you don't see that billions of years and where it's at, then the difficulty, we lose sight in the difficulty and we drowned under the fear and anxiety and the pain and betrayal. We drowned under it and our heart gets troubled and it dominates our thinking. Then we make really bad decisions. When our heart is overcome with trouble, which is really common, we make bad decisions in that way. We don't have a bright spirit. We don't have clear thinking. Paul said here in Ephesians 1, Heaven and earth are coming together, and that happens at the second coming. And I have a few more uh, phrases there. Let's turn to the top of page three. Jesus prepared the way for many to live in the Father's house. Again, this is the first truth he emphasizes. I want us to catch that. It wasn't like he said, hey, if you get around to that, if you go through all your emotional healing classes, eventually finally get back to eternity. He says, no, start in eternity and then go work on those other issues as well. And by nature, we don't see or feel the power of eternal truth, but the Spirit has been given to guide us into truth, to illuminate our understanding and to let us feel peace, to touch our heart with it. A little bit, but that little bit matters and it grows over time. John 13 to 17 is line by line how to enter into this. Well, Jesus assured them, paragraph A, top of page three, that the Father's house, which is the New Jerusalem, has many dwelling places. Many dwelling places. There is a supernatural provision. I mean, several billion saints, I'm assuming you know, however many through history, they say there's a billion believers on the earth now. I don't know if that number's accurate, but that's what different people who do uh, demographics and study. And, and there's a billion new ones coming in the harvest. So probably several billion believers, there's supernatural provision for every need of life forever in the new Jerusalem. I mean, I mean, talking about what Paul called the riches of the glory of God's grace, the riches, the wealth of his grace, the supernatural provision to sustain all the needs of life for several billion people at the highest level of grandeur and pleasure and glory and brightness forever, and no one can disrupt it. Beloved, that is our story. This isn't pie in the sky. This is our story. This is real. Jesus said, in my Father's house. He says, I'm telling you, there's many mansions, many dwelling places. And I'm going to prepare a place for you and for the multitudes. Again, I'm just going to say several billion. I don't really know the number, but it's a large number. It's fantastic. Paragraph B, he calls heaven my Father's house. There's several names for heaven or descriptions for heaven in the Bible. But the grandest name is the Father's house because it highlights God's fatherhood. It's the best name, in my opinion, because it speaks, here in paragraph B, of the intimacy enjoyed in close, loyal, committed relationships forever. They're, they're never violated there's no offense. They're deeply committed. It's a house under the Father's leadership with the love of God flowing through everyone. It's the Father's house. There's other place, uh, references to heaven. It's called a country. It's called a city. You can just read at some of the different dynamics related. It's called a kingdom. It's called a paradise. It's called a tabernacle. 
but the Father's house. That's my favorite one. Paragraph C, it's a home. It's more than a kingdom. It's more than a city. It's more than a country. It is those things, but it's more. Paragraph C, he relates to his people as a father. I mean, when the Genesis 1 God is your father, and he's committed to caring for you, and more than caring, interacting with you in the affections of a father. Beloved, you got it made. <laughs> no, I mean it. You have it made. And Jesus is saying, do you understand what I'm telling you? Yes, I'm going to die. But it's going to be a temporary separation. We're going to be there billions of years together. Everything you endure is worth it. You will see. I am not troubled by dying. He was troubled by the anguish of the death process, but he wanted to be with his father. He told him later in John 14, he goes, if you really loved me, you would be so glad I'm going to my father. I mean, that's an unusual way to talk about death. He goes, you would be glad for me, not for the anguish that I go through, but where I go, soon after I die, I go right to his presence. He goes, you would you would, if you loved me, you would be grateful that I'm dying. They're going like, what? What do you know that we don't know? And there's a whole lot. He relates to us as a father. He heals his people. I mean, the history of believers over several, you know, thousands of years from that orphan spirit that he talks about in John 14, verse 18. He goes, I'm not leaving you as orphans. As a matter of fact, I'm going to heal you of that orphan spirit. That where you feel lonely, so many people, in the midst of a, even a, a multitude of believers, they feel lonely. They feel abandoned. They feel overlooked. They feel unprovided for, not celebrated, not known. Jesus said, my father's house, you will be known, celebrated, loved. Home is where we're free from strife. Enjoying loving one another and being loved, being celebrated, being known. It's a place of affection, delight, security. Plenty, plenty of provision, no lack. These things are ours and they are connected to the Father's house. And when Jesus said, my Father's house, he was saying, I mean, I'm throwing, he didn't really say this, but he's thinking, I'm gonna reveal more about the Father's house and I want you believers through history to go search this out and get these truths into your conversation with me. Thank me for them and ask me to show you more and search out the scripture and the spirit will touch you with just sparks of peace. Just little moments of peace, that, but they, they add up over time. Imagine the implication, the stunning implication of these truths. I believe that the tribulation saints are gonna live and feed on these truths. It says it in Revelation 7, verse 16 and 17, that the revelation saint, I mean the tribulation saints, they will be so encouraged because there will be a time where there's no tears, there's no sun beating down on them. They have plenty of food, plenty of water, all provision, and they will live and draw on that reality and it will matter because it's only a brief time the pressure is and billions of years of glory. Paragraph D, he says many mansions, Many Bible translations say many dwelling places. 
But the real, the bigger point I'm making here is that in the Father's vast house, it's a, it's a house, it's a country. It's so big of a house, it's a city. It's so big of a house, it's all of these things. It's, you know, Revelation 21 tells us it's 1,500 miles this house is every direction. It's technically 1,380, but anyway, some translations say 1,500. That's good enough for now. But there's gonna be many permanent dwelling places in this vast, this vast house, this city house, this country house, this mountain house. And one of the points Jesus is making is that in this age, it's everything we have is temporary. And, and it's described in some ways as we're in temporary tents as sojourners in a hostile world. But we're going to a permanent house that is a home that has a father's care and a father's affection all through the city and a father's provision and his leadership, and that's our destiny forever. Paragraph E, the father's house has many places. I talked a moment ago about Revelation 7, the, Re the tribulation saints. Well, let's go to Revelation 7. There's a great multitude from every single nation of the earth now, it's not just the 200 nations. There's 200 nations approximately. Sometimes there's one or two more, one or two less. But this is every nation, ethnos. There are, people debate the number, but 12 to 14,000 ethnos people groups. In every people group of the earth, there will be a spirit of revival all over the earth. I mean, the that's where we come up with the term the billion soul harvest. And every one of those 12, 14, whatever the number is, again, they, the missions people kind of debate what the real number is. I, I don't care that much. I just know it's 12, 13, 14, 15,000 people groups. There will be a spirit of revival. Every tongue, every tribe. The house is going to be full. And Jesus says, no problem. We got it covered. If you knew how wealthy and powerful the Father and I are in the Spirit, we got it covered. All the bills are paid forever. It's a big statement when he says, many mansions in this house. Paragraph F, I go to prepare a place for you. Well, the place he's going to is the cross. The place we go, the New Jerusalem, existed before Jesus went to the cross. He's not going to heaven and then getting out his you know, carpenter tools and building a city. The city already exists. He's not arriving to do a con to construct buildings. What he's going, the place that, that, that hasn't yet been prepared, he hasn't paid the price of the cross yet. I'm going to the cross. I'm gonna die to atone for your sin. Jesus bore the wrath of God to remove every obstacle in the way so we could be in the house forever as a free gift. That's what he's talking about. We must not let our guilt, our unworthiness. I mean, that's the shame. We stumbled, we failed. The Lord says, drop it, repent of it, and then receive the gift of righteousness and my free forgiveness. And don't be troubled, don't be weighed down. The, some people think if they're weighed down by their guilt, that's kind of humble and kind of sort of godly. You know, if they're like, oh, I'm just bored. And Jesus says, wait, I died for you. Stop, stop. You're in the house. I prepared the way for you in the house. Don't feel good about feeling bad. But rather have confidence, 
I prepared a place for you. It's prepared. Would you have a spirit of condemnation? Say, in the name of Jesus, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He did prepare a place for me in the Father's home. It is finished. Thus says the Lord. And that's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. We have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus as a free gift. Roman numeral five. Jesus says, I'm coming again. He says, I'm gonna come again. I will come again and receive you to myself. We're still in verse three. So that where I am, there you will be also. I'm gonna, receive, I'm gonna come back in the sky and I'm gonna bring you to where I'm at at the Father's house. I'm gonna bring you, I'm gonna usher you into the new Jerusalem and we're gonna live in it together forever. Every one of those phrases are so loaded. But each one of these phrases, you wanna not just underline it in your Bible, go, whoa, that's good too. You can do that if you want. But say, get it into your conversation with the Lord with the spirit of thanksgiving. Thank you that you're coming again. Show me more. Thank you that you're receiving me to yourself. Show me more. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that this truth, show me more of this. Thank you, Jesus, that where you are, I will be forever. Show me more. I love this. Thank you. Show me more. Simple little prayer. Prayer with thanksgiving with every one of these, these truths. These little phrases are truths with huge implications of blessing. And I want the Holy Spirit to lead me into the truth of these truths. And the Holy Spirit says, well, get them in your mouth then. Talk to me. Pray with thanksgiving. And I say, thank you, show me more. And search it out. Talk about it with other people. And this stuff will grow in your understanding and the peace will increase in your heart. Now when he said, I will come again, He's actually, it's Thursday night, he's referring to what he said on Tuesday in Matthew chapter 24, and I have the passage there. He says, I'm coming in the sky. You got it right there. Turn uh, top of page four. And the reason I'm mentioning, he's talking about the second coming, because in John 13 to 17, he refers to coming in two other ways as well. He tells them, I'm gonna come to you, he meant after the resurrection, even before he ascended, he appeared to them in the resurrection appearances several times. So some of the times in John 13 to 17, he means I'm gonna come to you very few, I mean, in three days, I'm gonna visit you. Then other times, he means after I ascend to the Father, I'm gonna pour out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, I will come to you by the indwelling Spirit. But here he means I'm coming to you in the clouds at the second coming. And so sometimes theologians debate which one of those three types of coming, but most agree it's talking about the eschatological, the end time coming. I'm confident it is because he's connecting it to the Father's house, the new Jerusalem, and bringing us to it, and that happens when he returns at the, at the end of the age. Paragraph D, I will receive you to myself. The best part of heaven is to be with this man. I mean, that's kind of like really sweet to say that. Oh, that's so neat. No, we're talking about a man that was there in Genesis 1 and spoke under the Father's authority and created the heavens and the earth. We're talking about a man with so much affection and desire for you that he gave his life for you. We're talking about a man that his face lights up. The glory of God fills the new Jerusalem out of his very countenance and face. This man, fully God, fully man. This is the man, fully human, but fully God, 
You really want to be with him. And I, I know y'all really, we all know that, but it, it kind of becomes cool to say I want to be with him. But when we read Revelation 1 and all the different things about him, Revelation 1 is when he appears in his glory, we go, this is like really, really something. <laughs> To be in that home, in that city, with that man forever, with the affection he has for us, and all the provision, under the Father's care, the Father's leadership, the Father's provision, the Father's affection. I mean, it just kind of makes you just like, I just want to like, oh, I just want to like forget this message, just go take a nap, and just go, oh, I love this. <laughs> Maybe it was just a long day today, but oh, it just sounds so comforting. Okay, Beckel, rise up and get back to work. Enjoy it, but stay steady. <laughs> but we can have our hearts really comforted with that while we're in the midst of rigors and persecution and resistance and labors and setbacks, but our hearts in a different place. If we will do what he said, you believe in God, he said, that's a fact. He goes, the nation does. Again, they don't believe in God in the full sense, but that's why they had all the laws of Moses and the temple of the sacrifice. He goes, believe in me in the same way you believe in the God of Moses, the invisible God of Moses. Believe in me. Engage your heart with me. He goes, paragraph D, I will receive you to myself. He's going to personally come back and bring us to the Father's house. You know, it's, he says, no, no, I'm going to do it personally. I'm going to, the first time the entire family's together is when he captures us all up to meet him in the air. The billion saints on the earth or whatever the number is, and the billion through history or whatever the number is, the, the graves are open. We all meet together in the air. The first fam, time all the believers in history are together in the sky. And then he ushers us into the new Jerusalem to himself. He, he, he himself brings us there. But it's not just that we go there and he says, hey, I died for you, so now you're in the city. He goes, I want you to know. I want you to be where I am. He would say later in John 17, he says the same thing again. He goes, but this time it's in prayer. He's making the point that where I am, there you will be. But now he says it in a more emotional way. He goes, Father, he goes, I desire that they be with me where I am, that they experience my glory, not just see their distance. To behold the glory is to experience it with him. So Jesus is praying, and I mean, I mean, he's gonna sweat drops of blood very soon after this of the anguish of what's before him. But he stops, he goes, Father, I desire them. I want her with me. I want my bride with me. I don't want to rule without her. I want her with me. It's not just he bought the home and he bought the city and he built it for us, all these things. He goes, I want to be with you in the home. What a remarkable reality. Paragraph E, what appears to be these tragic events of history, Jesus goes to the cross. I mean, that's tragic. Even the difficulty of the great tribulation, we read Matthew 24, what he said on Tuesday. Ugh. These times of great pain, they are actually leading to the greatest victory for humanity. And Jesus understood it. He called it the joy set before me. He goes, the anguish of the cross, anguish. But I see the victory of the human, of the, 
human race that will say yes to me, I see where it's going. Through the tribulation, the birth pangs, it's birthing a new world order where the earth will be filled with the glory of God and the, and the end time saints were participating with the Lord in a dynamic way in the birthing of the age to come. And it's difficult, but it's worth it. It's easy to be overwhelmed with the pains and the sorrows of those seven things, the death, the sudden death of a loved one, the betrayal of the, somebody on the team or in the family, your own personal failure, the crisis in society, national shakings, persecutions, all these things. We can be overwhelmed and we can lose sight of the glory of what's really happening in front of us because of the momentary pressures and they're real. I'm not saying they're not real, but they're, Jesus says you don't, don't get taken down the river with those things, those dark, that current of dark feelings and dark thoughts. Put a stop to it. Take the word of God. Stand up against it and I'll give you impartation of peace, these increments of uh, uh, small installments of peace, little by little, and I'll keep you going if you keep talking to me. Because that peace will be powerful at times, and then it will kind of lift. The Lord says, well, stay in the conversation with me. Because I'm not just giving you peace so you can live without me. I'm giving you peace because you're interacting with me, and I am the Prince of Peace. You get disconnected to me because you had peace last week. You'll find out I'm the Prince of Peace. It's not just... I give you a peace tablet or a peace pill and you're good to go. No, your peace comes from interacting with me as the Prince of Peace. The answer that Jesus gives really is the Father's house, which is Revelation 21 and 22. The most detailed description of the Father's house. In John 13 to 17, well, even the whole ministry of Jesus, he has all of Revelation 21 and 22 in his mind. And much, much more. I mean, Revelation 21 and 22, the description of the Father's house is barely a table of contents. Barely that. Just some of the main features. There's so many big facets that aren't even mentioned in Revelation 21 and 22. Let's look at Roman numeral six. Now, we're gonna do this pretty quick because this is just for you to read on your own if you want. And I have several teachings on the internet breaking down I call it the Millennial Kingdom, Heaven on Earth, 12-part series. I've done it a couple times. And a couple times on the New Jerusalem coming down to the earth and different facets of it. So, and there's other uh, ministries that have teaching on it, but I have made it a, a point to be a student of the New Jerusalem. I don't want to be completely unfamiliar with it, and then somehow I'm supposed to believe Jesus for it to overcome the trouble of my heart, but I don't know anything about it. It's like, no. I, I want to know about what the Bible says about the, the Father's house because I'm going to draw on it because that's going to be a source of overcoming trouble dominating my heart. So in Roman numeral 6, in Revelation 21 and 22, the new Jerusalem is seen first in relational terms. Then it's seen second in functional terms. What do I mean by that? Paragraph A. First... Revelation 21, the first part. And I got all the verses there. The new Jerusalem, the Father's house, is seen and enjoying nearness to the Father. The first eight verses. Then after the first eight verses, the focus shifts of the description. And then it's described more in a functional way as a, the ultimate holy of holies and the ultimate garden of Eden. Paragraph B. 
starts off in the relational terms. The, the very glory of salvation is living with the Father and the Son in his house, in the New Jerusalem, on the earth forever. That's the glory of a John 17, verse 3. Jesus says, Father, Father, salvation is that they would know you. That's eternal life. They would know you. They would interact with you. John 17, 3. That is what eternal life is. The essence of it, it isn't just escaping hell. It's not just giving us a ministry assignment. It's interacting with the Father in this age, in part, but in fullness forever. So the first verses here, I'm not going to go into much detail. There's so much here. Even these little phrases are, are loaded with meaning. But the glory of our salvation is living in face-to-face -face relationship with the Father and the Son on the earth forever. The Father's throne, the tabernacle, is coming down to the earth. It's going to be openly seen. My goodness, this is awesome. Verse 4. God's going to wipe away. We're going to see his Father's care. The first, one of the things that's highlighted, he'll wipe all the tears away. All the scars of our failure, the scars of our, how we've been mistreated, our scars of disappointment, again, our scars of our personal failure, all those scars, those tears. He said, I'm going to heal all of them. There's going to be no more death. No more death of relationships, more, no more physical death, no death anywhere in any conversation anywhere forever. No more sorrow. No more crying because of pain. There might be crying because of love, tenderness. No more pain at all. That's the Father. He's making these declarations. The high point, paragraph C, of all history is the Father's tabernacle or his throne or his house. And it says the God is tabernacling with us or his throne is with us or his house is with us. On the earth, that's the ultimate reality with Jesus at his right hand. And beloved, we have billions of years in this. My goodness, I love it. And so do you. I mean, we do. We do that we all do. It's just that we got to spend more time searching it out and talking to the Lord with the spirit of thanksgiving. Thank you, show me more. Thank you, show me more. So now we're moving on to New Jerusalem in its functional terms. As the Holy of Holies... And then later is the Garden of Eden. Those two different pictures. Those are the two places in the Old Testament where God dwelt with his people. In the holy, I mean, in the tabernacle, and he dwelt with his people in the Garden of Eden. Let's go to the top of page five. Again, we're just gonna just glance at this. I'm just stirring you up. Many of you know these basic points, but it's just like, you know what, I need to. Get these truths in my mouth with a thank you, show me more, truth by truth, phrase by phrase. Now, you, you can spend days on Revelation 21 and 22 saying, thank you, show me more, phrase by phrase. Pray in the Spirit a little bit. I love you. Show me, Lord, and just say it different ways. It will grow in your understanding the more you say it. It's a city that has the glory of God. I mean, can you imagine this city? I'm thinking of the extravagance of God adorning. It says the Father adorns the city. He makes it beautiful. Like, that's an understatement. He makes it beautiful for Jesus and his bride to dwell in the city forever. The glory of God is in the city. The light is like, a, it's like precious jewels, like a jasper stone, like a diamond, crystal clear. I like to say this. It's a little bit corny, but it's kind of true or something. 
I see this city as the Lord's wedding gift to the bride of Christ. He says, I'm not going to give you a diamond ring. I'm going to give you a diamond city. Here you have it. It's a, di- it's a city shining like a diamond forever. Well, I guess she liked it. It was a little corny, but it, it's, it's true too-ish. <laughs> I mean, the, the, he may say it differently, but there's 12 gates. They're made of pearls. G, the walls. Look at verse 18, paragraph G. The walls are made of jasper like a diamond. The ancient jasper is like a, it's, it's crystal clear like a, a bright, the brightness of a diamond. Paragraph H, the streets are made of gold. Precious jewels on the foundations of the wall. There's no need for the sun because the glory of Jesus lights up the entire city. And he loves you and calls you his bride and his beloved. And he says, I want you to be there with me. Like, really? I didn't just buy the city for you and said, hey, go have a good time. I'm going to be with you in the city forever. And we, I want you to work with me. And I want you to rule with me. And we're going to enhance life and blessing for other people. And again, there's details to that. I'm not going into that. But you're going to be involved in that which is relevant in enhancing blessing and life for other people. It doesn't stop just, we're going to be ruling, but really it doesn't really matter if we rule because if we don't rule, it's still going to happen. No, our ruling will matter. The New Jerusalem is, paragraph I is, described in functional terms as the Garden of Eden. There's the river of life. There's the tree of life. There, the throne of God, top of page six. I'm going to spend uh, the next just three or four minutes. I want this to be a, Kind of a real practical takeaway. I want this to get your attention. When Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled, believe in me. Even though you won't see me, believe what I tell you. And the first thing I'm telling you is I'm going to prepare a place for the Father's house. We're going to be in it forever. He anchors the way to get overcome a troubled heart. He anchors it in the reality of the new Jerusalem together with him forever. And we've got to go deep on this in our, in our hearts our research, I mean our study of the scripture, and we have to, again, I'm just saying it like a broken record, get these truths into our mouths in the conversation with the Lord with a thank you, show me more of this. And journal and write and search it out. Thank you, I love you, show me more. The first thing, I'm, I've said this five times, but you know, remember my main gift is repetition. So paragraph A, the first thing Jesus highlights to overcome a troubled heart is the need for a paradigm shift, a a perspective shift. He goes, I want you to shift your perspective of life. I want you to move from a temporal worldview of Christianity to a New Testament, eternal kingdom paradigm of Christianity. The body of Christ right now across the earth is so anchored in a temporal mindset of what Christianity is, a secular mindset even. Not entirely secular, but it's a temporal mindset circumstance, blessing and circumstance, and the New Testament gospel of the kingdom was anchored into a perspective or a paradigm, use whichever word you want, of an eternal kingdom. And we have to shift over because as the great tribulation pressures emerge, only people that shift over are going to be anchored in, in strength. Without an eternal perspective, the pressures of that time, and those pressures are critical in terms of birthing the earth into the age to come. 
And there's reasons why they're important, even though they're negative. But people will not stand if they only have the common, acceptable, temporal paradigm of Christianity that is not the New Testament paradigm of Christianity. We have to shift over. And more and more problems are increasing slowly. They're called birth pangs. They, they get more and more intense with reprieves, little breaks in between to kind of get your breath, and then it comes back again. The reprieves are shorter, and the birth pangs are more intense. But he's letting the body of Christ and the earth shift their paradigm to an eternal New Testament perspective of the kingdom. And if we don't move in that direction, we will not be equipped to stand against intensified pressures. But with that paradigm, with that perspective, our hearts will be anchored in the truth. And we can bear anything. That's why Jesus starts with this truth. It's not small that he started with this truth. It's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's a mindset where believers are seeking heavenly things, living for the age to come. Again, who pastors this way? Jesus does, and Paul did, and the apostles, they taught this, but this was new to them in the upper room. Jesus had mentioned this several times, but they kind of, it kind of bounced off of them, I think, and, but he says, no, you guys have got to get this, and you've got to establish it with other people. Paul says this verse that just is so pie-in-the-sky sounding, it's kind of it's easy just to move on and not even think about it. He says, seek things that are above. The truths about the new Jerusalem is what he's talking about. Set your mind on truths related to the new Jerusalem, the Father's house. Paragraph B. Thus the shift, here's the point. Our primary focus, not our only focus. We, we will have, we do care about temporal circumstances. There's nothing wrong with that. But we don't want to make it our number one focus. It needs to be second, not first. And the body of Christ, the billion believers of the earth, the vast majority, they're not there right now. But we're never, ever going to walk in a vibrant spirit in victory without our hearts anchored there. But the birth pangs are moving the church forward. I mean, the whole COVID crisis in the, in the last year or so, as many believers are going, you know what? I better start figuring out there's something bigger going on. You know, maybe, maybe I should think different. And I don't think enough are thinking that, but I can see the shift is beginning to happen. But the pressures are going to intensify with the birth pangs increasing. we got to shift our primary focus from seeking blessing on our temporal circumstances to the eternal nature of the kingdom. Here's the point. Where we see, here's, here's the takeaway, our actions, our choices have eternal consequences and eternal benefits. When I believe that what I say and do matters to that hour, then I say and do different things. When I shift, I think, wait, what I say and do has consequences then. Whoa. Well, that's true, and the Bible's full of it in the New Testament. But the church, the 21st century church, that's a very, very absent idea for most believers. Beloved, we can make choices, painful choices now, bearing with things now in the spirit of grace that have benefits then. That's what Paul got a hold of, and he said, that's the, that's the nature, the eternal nature of the kingdom. That's the New Testament Christianity. Many today have a secular, I mean, not entirely secular, but a temporal worldview of Christianity. And the Spirit wants to shift us globally. I mean, a billion of us. I have here in paragraph C, he wants to rescue us from this wrong mindset so we are equipped to stand in victory under intensified persecution. 
If we, if persecution increased dramatically with the common mindset of believers in the Western world and the whole, the whole earth really, except for those that are in persecution, we will not stand because we're not gonna make it with a temporal blessing mindset. I mean, I like temporal blessing, but I, that's second, and I believe God for it, but the Lord says, don't think that's mostly what I've called you to, to make sure you're, you got more money, more friends, more comfort, more ease in this age, using the name of Jesus to get more stuff. Yeah, that will happen, little here, little there, and then you get some, and then you don't get some the next time, then you get some, and yeah, I'll do some of that, I really will. But I want you to make choices that change your life in the age to come, it's real. Most of the, paragraph D, of the hope messaging. I, I, you know, as when the COVID broke out, I heard so many preachers say, I wanna preach on hope. And what they meant when they said hope, it wasn't the biblical message of hope. The biblical New Testament of hope message is Titus chapter two, verse 13. The blessed hope is the appearing of the Lord Jesus and the age to come. That's the blessed, that's the New Testament view of hope. John 3, 3, John the Apostle, he said, you have this hope, it will purify you in this age. But what hope became, I heard it all over the internet, hope became our nation's gonna be stronger, we're gonna get more money, and we're gonna have more healing. I go, well, that, I want those things. Actually, I want more money, more healing, and an easier life. But that's not the biblical message of hope. That's the American dream. And I don't mind it as long as it's not number one. I mean, I want blessing. But the, the church in America has been seduced by the gospel, the American dream, not the gospel of the kingdom. And we gotta shift over where we're spending more time talking and thinking about things that equip us to be pleasing to him and get ready for the age to come. One of the big things that's essential is to settle, and this is, sounds so Biblical, I was gonna say so weird, but the right word came out. It will sound so weird, but it's so biblical, is we need to settle the issue about death. To many believers, the goal is to make sure they don't die. You know, they think, end times, I gotta store this, I gotta do that, I gotta get with this, I gotta communication, I gotta make sure I don't die. No, you're gonna die. No, the goal is to make sure you're faithful, not to make sure you don't die and you live in this broken down body, you know, for you know, 100 years, that's not the goal. The goal is to be faithful, not to make sure we avoid death. We've gotta settle this issue, and that's what Jesus was doing in John, in John chapter 14. Paragraph F, Jesus taught more on treasure in heaven than any other person in history. Now, certainly in the Bible, and I am assuming in history. Paragraph G, Paul said, verse 16 in 2 Corinthians, it's the same thing, do not let your heart be troubled. It's the same language, he's echoing John 14, one. Do not let your heart be troubled, believe in God. Believe also in me. He says we don't lose heart. The outward man, things are difficult. Things are heavy in our circumstances. They're not going so great right now because he was getting in prison and whipped and beaten. He goes, but my inward man, the peace is growing and the love is growing. The tenderness is growing, but the, the external is more difficult but the tenderness is increasing. That's amazing. He goes, for our light affliction is only a moment. He goes, it's a couple decades. Like, really? I mean, to him, 30, 40 years, like 30 years, like he was beat with whips five times, stoned three times, 
thrown in prison. I go, your light affliction? He goes, it's only a moment. It's only a couple of decades. Then billions of years in the glory. He says, but by responding in faithfulness, it's working in me. He's talking about all of us, but he says, an eternal weight of glory. There's an increase of the glory of God that I'm going to encounter more because I'm saying yes to faithfulness under pressure. He says, verse 18, we don't look at the things that are seen. This is so pie in the sky. Nobody says this. He goes, don't quit being fixated on circumstances. If they're better, if they're easier, if you're getting the deal you want, don't lock into that as the main focus of your life. He goes, look at the things that you can't see with your natural eye, the things the word of God declares. Those things are eternal. Lock into those things, not how you're going to get a better deal. Your life will be happier. You kind of maneuver things, and you get to win this. He goes, a little bit of that, we, you know, we do as humans. We want things better. There's nothing wrong with that. But he goes, don't make that the primary focus and conversation of your heart with God. Lock into things that matter forever. It says Moses, he chose the reproach of Christ. He said, I'll bear the stigma and the downside of standing with Jesus, with, with, the, with the God of Israel, rather than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking to the reward. He was locked in. John 14, our citizenship is in heaven. Our family is there. Our treasures there. Our loved ones are there. Our destiny is there. Everything that we're doing in secret, it's going to show up openly there. Amen and amen. John 14, verse 1. In my Father's house are many mansions. Amen. Worship team, come on up. Let's stand before the Lord. Lord, we want a vibrant spirit. We want to look to things that are invisible, the truths of God's word. We want to look to them. Lord, we buy this. We believe this. Though it's not natural to believe this, but by the spirit, help us. You said the spirit would teach us these things if we'll enter into the conversation with him. And so, Lord, we're saying we're going to enter into the conversation to say these things to you more with thanksgiving. Here we are, Lord. We're not going to let our heart be troubled, dominated by trouble. No. We're going to believe in you. That you're coming back to bring us to a house forever. We believe you, Jesus. Here we are, Holy Spirit. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. Spirit of revelation, open my heart again. Spirit of wisdom, open my eyes again. Lead us into truth. Spirit of revelation. When we say these things to you, Jesus, lead us into truth, Holy Spirit. When we say thank you, show me more. Lead us into truth, inch by inch, step by step. Lord, I want to see, see you rightly, Jesus. I want to see. Lord, I want to see, see you rightly. 
to things that we cannot see to truth Holy Spirit we want to look to truth that are eternal spirit of revelation open my heart again come Holy Spirit lead us spirit of wisdom open my eyes again spirit of revelation open my heart cause with the water of your word We love you. We are yours, oh God. You are ours forever. past failures whether it's a day ago a month ago a year ago just he just keeps wanting to bring up failure to you your personal failure and here's what the Lord said the Lord says I where I, I'm going I'm preparing a place I've already prepared it it's finished 
You don't need to let the devil win this conversation and trouble your heart. And again, some people, they feel good about feeling bad about themselves. Forget all that. We want to say what he says. He goes, I prepared a place. It's finished. It's done. Now enter in. I want to be with you. But you got to change the conversation. I don't want you just talking to me about how bad you are and how sorry you are. Yes, tell me you're sorry and repent. But let's move on. We love each other. Let's talk about life and the glory of God and love together. So the enemy is keeping that conversation. Again, it's a day ago, a year ago, whatever, failure. And the enemy's assaulting you. I would like you to, you would like prayer. Come on up here. I mean, it could be any of us have days like that and months like that. So don't feel bad about that because it's a very normal way the enemy attacks. And the way you know it's happening, he keeps this as the conversation, the main conversation. When you go to him, you can't hardly say, I love you. Say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Lord, please. Lord says, please, let's move on. Let's talk about us. Not about how bad you are. Let's talk about who I made you. It's called a spirit of accusation. Paul said there's no condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I went to prepare. I go to prepare a place. And he cried out, it's finished. It's done. I did it. So I'm going to ask the Lord just to come and just to move on you. I would like you, all of you that are praying, to look up for a second, okay? Everyone that I prayed for, look up for a second. Look down and see the carpet. I want you to stand on that carpet. Go ahead, stand on it. And the folks in the middle, go ahead and move back because I want to have plenty of room. You got to stand. The carpet is made that way so we have room for the ministry team. Yeah, come all the way, stand on it, or go back to the one behind you. So we got lots of room. There you go. And then you'll have more people with more confidence to come and pray for you. There you go. And so some of you are new here, so you don't even know about that carpet. You thought, oh, I just thought that was a dark spot. We did it on purpose. I'm going to ask the Lord to come and rest on you, and I'm going to invite folks to come up. And again, the folks that are coming up, you just lay hands on them. You can whisper. You can. You don't have to say a lot. Just, Lord, give more. You might have verses to pray. You don't have to have it. You can just say, Lord, give more. I'm going to invite folks, anyone in the room that wants to pray for folks, go ahead and come on up. You can stand behind them or you can stand in front of them, put your hand on their shoulder, touch their hand, whatever, with your finger. There's something about laying hands on him. Maybe just put your finger on their hand if you want to. If you're nervous about getting too close to people, I understand that. Father, I ask you that you would come and wash us tonight. Come and wash us with the water of your word. You said it's finished. You said I've already prepared it. I prepared the place that they could be with me. Not standing at a distance, feeling accused. They could be with me where I am. And the Lord says, I want to be with you. I want you to be with me, not at a distance, with a wall between us. I want to talk about the way we love each other. I want to talk about our plans together. I don't want to just talk about your failure. I want to accept my blood and my, what I've done for you. Father, I ask you for the desire of Jesus to overtake their heart. That he says, I desire you. I desire you. That's the word of God.
He says, I desire you. I want you to be with me. I don't want you at a distance. I want you to be with me, the Lord says. Come near me. Let's talk about our hearts and our love and our partnership together. I have forgiven you. I have cleansed you. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You've already repented. If you haven't repented, that's different. But if you repented, accept it. Even though you stumbled again, repent again and stay with it. There is no condemnation. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He died for you. He prepared a place for you in the home, in the family, in the Father's house. I've read it in my word. So Sit with me. Let's talk together. Begin the conversation. Let's begin a new conversation together. Let's start a new conversation. I said that you would be with me where I am. That's why I went to the cross. Ask me what I feel, what I think of you. For I love you. I desire you. You are my beloved. Part of the joy that was set before me. I endure these things for you. I love you. I desire. I desire my beloved. More than you know. You are my More than you understand. I want you with me where I am. Lord, come by the fire of the Holy Spirit. Come by the fire of the Holy Spirit right now. true but it's not it is true this is the gospel I need you together to be together with me forever you are all you are my beloved more than you understand to be desired I think about you you are on my mind says the Lord you're on my heart Are on you. My hand is always outstretched to you. I delight in you. I will not withdraw my hand. More
take authority over the spirit of oppression on the mind, the lies, the accusation. I say in the name of Jesus, be silent. No, in Jesus' name. I will break this heavy yoke off of you. Agree with my word. Oh, the lofty things I say about you. We silence the voice of the enemy over minds tonight. There is no tonight would be a night of peace a tenderizing of the heart